It is said of Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3, that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. If you're honest, you have to ask yourself, how in the world can a man like Moses be meek when he had more to be proud of than anybody around at that time? How in the world can anyone like Moses be in perfect submission to God when he had more to boast about than anybody in his day? How on God's earth can a man like Moses be humble when he had more of the stuff that made him superior to his peers? He was superior in intelligence. He was superior in his wealth. He was superior in his education. He was superior in his intellect. He was superior in his possession. He was superior in his position. He had more power, more influence than any of the Israelites. In fact, he had more of that than all of the Israelites put together. Yet the Bible calls Moses the meekest man. It is not because that he did not have anything to be proud of, but because he refused to be tempted with pride. That is why God used him. And don't ever think that Moses was not tempted. Don't ever think that Moses was not tempted to be proud of his upbringing, to be proud of his knowledge, to be proud of his wealth, to be proud of his influence, to be proud of his family connection. After all, he was the grandson of Pharaoh. But he did not fall into temptation. He knew how to resist a temptation. And that is why God used him mightily. God did not use Moses because of his educational training. He did not use him because of his abilities. But he was used of God because he did not succumb to the temptation of pride. Like the Apostle Paul, when he enumerates all of his achievements, all of his background, all of his successes, all of his position. And then he says, I consider all of this to be rubbish in relationship to my Lord Jesus. For the sake of Christ, I consider all this to be trash. In the same way, the reason the Lord uses the holy angels in a mighty way is because they had the opportunity to follow Lucifer in his pride and his rebellion against God, but they didn't. They voluntarily submitted and they voluntarily refused to succumb to the temptation of pride. They willingly surrendered their all. They willingly submitted their all. They willingly gave their all. They blindly obeyed the living God and they unconditionally loved God. Don't ever be tempted of thinking that angels intervene on our behalf because they love us. They don't know that. The only person that they love with all of their heart is the Lord God. And God loves you. And it is when you come to the Lord and call upon Him and cry upon Him that He orders His angels to come in the physical realm to protect you. But their ministry and service for the believers is based on love for Him. They respond to his wishes. They respond to his desires, not ours. And that is why we saw in the last message in Hebrews 1.14 that they minister to the heir of salvation. They minister to the community of the redeemed. They administer the purpose of God in the lives of the believers. And as I began to read in the task of our friends, the holy angels in heaven, I must confess to you, I became overwhelmed. I was literally overwhelmed. I said, how in the world am I going to cover this? I identified 23 different tasks. First of all, number one, angels ride on spiritual horses. Secondly, they guard gates and entrances. Thirdly, 
they get into bodily combat and wage war. Then they execute judgment and administer verdicts. They minister to the believers who serve the Lord. They rule nations. They protect the faithfuls in their temptation hour. They sing praises and adoration to our God. They strengthen the believers in their time of trial. They lead sinners to evangelists. Then they lead evangelists to sinners. They appear in dreams and in visions. They minister before God day and night. They bind Satan and they guard his abyss. They protect and put hedge around the saints of God. They separate the believers from the unbelievers. They will accompany Christ upon his return. They are witnesses for repentance of the sinners and they rejoice in heaven over it. They carry the departed spirits for those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and take them home to heaven. They hand out God's laws and revelations. They administer the full will of God, the perfect will of God. They bring answers of prayers back to us. And they watch the church of Jesus Christ day and night. Now I'm sure he's saying, I'm sure glad he's not going to preach on this. All of these 23. I thought about it and when I thought about it, I thought of the preacher who wanted to cover all of the prophets on one Sunday morning. And he started with the major prophets. He spent 20 minutes on Isaiah and 20 minutes on Ezekiel, 20 minutes on Jeremiah. And then uh, the crowd was getting restless and, and he said, well, I'm, now I'm getting into the minor prophets. And, and he said, I'll start with Hosea. Now, where do I place Hosea? And the man in the back said, he can take my seat, I'm leaving. <laughs> I want to talk about three things, three very significant things that angels do. First, they minister in heaven. Secondly, they minister to the believers on the earth. Thirdly, they minister to the believers in the day of his or her departure to be with the Lord in heaven. First of all, in heaven, angels with loud voice continuously shouting and saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You and I may forget what Jesus did for us, You and I might not be mindful of the significance of the Son of God leaving heaven and becoming man and dying on the cross for our sake. But the angels in heaven who witnessed it all, who have seen the birth, who ministered during his 30 years of life, who were there at the time of the crucifixion, who were there at the time of the resurrection, they who witnessed it, they are standing around the throne of God and they're crying out, worthy is the Lamb. What they were saying is this. Jesus, what you did in coming down from heaven and dying for sinners, you have altogether made the job complete. What you have done is acceptable to the Father. What the angels are saying day and night and their shout is this. They are extolling the virtues of God. They are gathering together and constantly extolling the power of God. Of the Lord Jesus Christ over sin. They are extolling his power over death and the grave. They are magnifying his noble character. They are magnifying his selfless life when he was on the earth. His perfect obedience to the Father. They are magnifying his willingness to pay for the punishment of the sin of somebody else. 
His willingness to satisfy the Father's justice. His willingness to leave the glories of heaven. His willingness to welcome a repentant sinner. His willingness to restore a repentant sinner. His faithfulness in completing of his task. That's what they're saying. Worthy is the Lamb. If your private worship or public worship, either one or both in fact, is void of praise, you don't know how to worship. You really do not know how to worship. Now, I'm not talking about singing now. But we all can praise. We can shout. There's some people who think that worship is benignly kind of folding your hands together. And uh, condescendingly bow your head. And mumble some insipid words. And they think that's worship. I want to tell you, you don't know what worship is. And if you don't know what worship is, this is the first training session today. Begin with the alphabet. Begin to extol the Lord Jesus Christ. Get all the scripture references and begin with the letter A. Jesus, you are the advocate. 1 John 2.1 Jesus, you are all in all. Colossians 3.1 Jesus, you are the Almighty. Revelation 1.8 Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus, you are the Amen. Jesus, you are the angel of the covenant. Jesus, you are the angel of God. Jesus, you are the anointed of God. Jesus, you are the ark of the covenant. Jesus, you are the arm of God. Jesus, you are the author and the finisher of my salvation. Jesus, you are the author of my faith. And then that's only the letter A. Then you go to the letter B. And you begin with all the references that begin with B. Pertaining to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are the babe of Bethlehem. Jesus, you are the balm of Gilead. Jesus, you are the banner of them that fear you. Jesus, you are the bearer of glory. Jesus, you are the bearer of my sins. Jesus, you are before all things. Jesus, you are at the beginning and the end. Jesus, you are the beginning of creation. Jesus, you are the beloved Son of the Father. Jesus, you are the bishop of my soul. Jesus, you are my blessed hope. Jesus, you are the branch of God. Jesus, you are the branch of righteousness. Jesus, you are the bread of life. Jesus, you are the bridegroom of the church. Jesus, you are the bright morning star. Jesus, you are my bacala. And then you go to the sea. We'll do that tomorrow. First thing in the morning. I want to tell you something. When you have a problem and you start your morning with praise and you begin with the alphabet, I promise you, by the time you're through, you have no problem. You won't even remember it. Because what you're doing, you're aligning yourself right with the angels in heaven. If the Bible said that's what they were doing, and when you get in a position and a posture of praise, that's exactly what you're doing. You are directly in line with the angels of God. Secondly, angels minister to the believers on the earth. They serve God's purpose in us, the believers. And there are a lot of things that I could deal with, particularly in this area, but I've chosen few things that are very important, theologically very important, about the ministry of angels to the believers on the earth. First of all, you remember I mentioned in the last message that in the very beginning, when God expelled Adam and Eve out of the garden for disobeying God and eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God has placed cherubim. Now cherub is singular, cherubim is plural. In Hebrew, every time you say the word im, it means a plural. Seraph, seraphim. 
He places those cherubim right at the gate of the garden. You see, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they did what God told them not to do, something radically happened to them inside. It wasn't just a little mistake. They became totally depraved. They become untrustworthy. They did not know how to repent. And they start blaming one another. And for their punishment, they were expelled out of that garden, and the cherubim stood at the gate. You say, why? Why does God have to stop them from coming? Because you see, in the garden, it's not only the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but right in the middle of the garden is a tree of life. You say, what's the tree of life? It's a symbolic of eternal life, of living forever. Had God allowed Adam and Eve to come back, they would have done it again. This time they would have eaten from the tree of life. And they would have lived forever. You say, well, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you exactly what's wrong with that, and I'm glad you asked. Had they gone back and ate from the tree of life, human life would have been like hell on earth. Their fate would be that of Satan and his demons. Sin would have been prolonged. Sickness would have persisted without healing. Sorrow would have been endless. Humanity would have been in that same situation when Lucifer was tempted with pride and expelled out of heaven. So it was of the mercy of God. It was of the grace of God. It was of the love of God that he placed a cherubim right at the gates of the garden to stop Adam and Eve from returning. Because God has provided a way for forgiving sins, healing diseases, and giving us eternal life. His name is Jesus. Then you see in the book of Daniel... There's a guarding ministry of angels. Daniel chapter 6 verse 22. Daniel said, My God has sent his angels and he shut the lion's mouth. Daniel was absolutely confident in what God is going to do for him. Where was he? Where was he on a Saturday night preparing for worship? Or was he in the bars? Where was he on a Saturday night? Is he getting drunk or he's preparing for worship? Is he in the nightclubs? Is he watching the movies all night? Where was he preparing for worship? Now I'll tell you exactly where he was. He was all alone on his knees worshiping the living God. When everybody else was having a musical party, they were having a disco right there at the image of Nebuchadnezzar. You cannot be anywhere you want to be And then you come in the morning and say, God, take care of me. Angels protect me. You have to be at the very center of the will of God to be confident of the protection of God. I want you to hear me right. As long as you rely on your intellectual ability, as long as you rely on your spiritual experience, as long as you rely on your material possessions, as long as you rely on your family connections, as long as you rely on your past achievements, as long as you rely on anything, the angels of God are leaving you alone. They're covering their eyes. For God only sends His angels to desperate people who fully trusted in God. Acts chapter 12. Peter was in prison at night. The next morning, Herod Agrippa was about to chop his head off. (laughs) What was Peter doing? 
He was sound asleep. He is sound asleep. <laughs> Can you imagine Peter the activist? I mean, Peter, I think with modern jargon, would have called obsessive, compulsive, impulsive, you know, all these jargon that describe hardworking folks. Just leave them alone. High D and minus C and F and S and all this stuff. Oh, it's just hardworking folks. Peter was sound asleep before he gets killed the next day. Why wasn't he wringing his hands? Lord Jesus, you told me I'm going to serve you. Look what's going to happen. My life is coming to an end. Why wasn't anybody bemoaning his fate like he did a few months earlier when he said, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of this? He didn't. You know why he's sound asleep? Because he knew that Agrippa cannot take his life away. Because Jesus gave him eternal life. But his time was not yet. His time had not come. Listen to me very carefully. Nothing but nothing but nothing but nobody can snuff your life out one second before God permits it or one second after God permits it. It is right on time. It is appointed unto man to die once after that the judgment. You know, fear of death for the born again Christian is ludicrous. Have you heard me? I'm going to repeat it just in case you didn't. Fear of death for the born again believer is ludicrous. If I was an unbeliever, I would be afraid to death of death. I would be scared. I'd do everything I can to just survive. But for the believer, absence from the body is presence with the Lord. Why would I be afraid of death? Back to Peter in the prison. The angel comes in. He jabs him and he wakes him up. And then he opened the prison door and he says, Peter, go home. (laughs) I thank God for you ladies. Some of you perform angelic tasks. Jab your husbands and wake them up in the church service. (laughs) He should call you an angel. So the angels minister in heaven. Praising God. On earth they're guarding God's servants. And thirdly, when you finally, your day come. That appointed unto you to be with the Lord. The angels escort you to heaven. (laughs) They take you to heaven. They give you a parade. Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells us a story of two people. He identifies them by name. This is no parable. This is a real story. The Lord Jesus, who eternally existed with the Father before all world, knows. And he tells this story. First of all, he said there was a desperate man. A man who leaned upon the Lord. A man who trusted in the Lord. This man's name is Lazarus, which means God is my help. That's his name. In fact, Lazarus' name is really a key point in this story. This man made God to be his help. And he stationed himself right outside of another man who depended upon his wealth. Who depended upon himself. You know, I love it when the liberals and the socialists look in the Bible. They don't believe it. But they look at this story and say, ha, you see, a class war. Class war. has nothing to do with class war. In reality, this whole story shows a difference between two men. One put his trust in God, and the other one put his trust in himself. He's singing every night with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That's what he was doing. Verse 22 of Luke 16 tells us the very point of this story. It's a contrast between the death of the man whose name is 
God is my help and the man who trusted in himself. It's a contrast between the two deaths. When Lazarus died, Jesus said, he was carried by angels into the bosom of Abraham. That's what happens to the believer. You know, in this real life story, Jesus is telling us that angels don't only protect us in this life, they don't only minister to the saints in this life, but then when they die, when they fold this tent, which we call our bodies, the angels give them a parade of all parades. Their angels are coming down and ushering them with a song and dance. They are receiving them with open arms. They are taking them with joy and jubilation. They are receiving them with great, great gun salute. The holy angels escorted Lazarus right into the presence of God. Now, if you're a believer, how can you be afraid of death? How can you be afraid of death? Listen to me very carefully. This is very important. If you're afraid of death, there's only two possibilities. Number one, you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ. You're still trusting in something else or somebody else. If that is your case, I pray to God in heaven that you do that today. Come and surrender. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. You might be into religion. You may be into church services. But God wants your heart. And make that decision today. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've committed your life to him and still afraid of death... There's a second possibility. And that is, you believe in God, but you don't believe God. You don't believe in His promises. You don't believe in His assurances. You don't take that with ironclad, God said it, therefore that is sufficient for me. You take God's word for it. That's all it is. I can give you a theological lecture, but that's that simple. God said it, you believe it, that's it. Has nothing to do with what I do and what I don't do. And if you have problem believing in the promises of God about your eternal life, I pray that you'll do that today too. So in verse 23 of Luke 16, Jesus said, The other man also died. Listen carefully to those words, please. The other man also died, and he was buried. No angels there. He may have had a state funeral, but no angels. He may have had some minister who got up and eulogize the fact that some crumbs from his table have fallen down to Lazarus, <laughs> but no angels. He may have had a minister who got up and eulogizes the fact that he's been a member in this dead church for 70, 80 years, but no angels. Membership in the church won't get you to heaven. Well, he may have somebody who eulogizes the fact that he was at church every Christmas and Easter, but no angels there. No angels. One of the tasks of the angels, Jesus said in the Gospels, in the last day, is that they're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. They're going to separate the sheep from the goat. They are specialists in separations. Now, all members of churches, they all have names on their church rolls. The wheat and the chaff grows together. But God in heaven knows who's putting his trust and her trust in him, and who's putting his trust and her trust in themselves. And in the last day, there's going to be a separation. The reason God used Moses is because God is his help. The reason God uses the holy angels in heaven is because God is their help. The reason the angels carried Lazarus to heaven is because God 
is his help. Please let me ask you this. Where will you go if you die today? Will you go to heaven? Will you be in the presence of God? Or will you be in the place of torment where that other man went? Where will you spend eternity? Will angels carry you into heaven? Will you be just buried? And then into torment. If the Lord Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, has spoken to you, said, yes, I'm into religion. I'm into churchianity. I'm into going to services. But I really, my heart has not regenerated. My heart has not been surrendered. Lord Jesus, come into my life. And if you're a believer and say, I trusted the Lord in my life some years ago, but I really don't know if I die today, will I go straight to heaven? If you die tonight, will you go to heaven? Jesus says, if you submit your life to me, you will. And that's final. Will you make that decision between you and God? Heavenly Father, the only thing we have is your word, and we know you do not lie. You are all truth. And your word says that you will never reject whomever he comes to you. Father, we thank you that the promises are ours. We thank you that all the gifts are ours. We thank you, Father, that Jesus is ours. We thank you for everyone who's standing in a confession and in repentance and in turning to you to receive that assurance that heaven is their home. I thank you for them. Bless them, Father. I pray that you'll bind the enemy who's going to come and bring doubt in their minds this afternoon or tomorrow. I bind him in Jesus' name, that he has no authority. That, Father, the Holy Spirit will come upon them and strengthen them and encourage them to serve you in the remaining years of their life. For I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.